Part One of Chapter Twenty One of Equanimitas by Sir William Oslow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Luke Sartor. Chapter Twenty One, Part One. Unity, Peace, and Concord. In necessaris unitas, in non necessaris libertas, in omnibus caritas. Life is too short to waste in critic peep or cynic bark, quarrel or reprimand, twill soon be dark. Up, mind thine own aim, and God speed the mark. Emerson. Chapter twenty one unity peace and concord delivered as a farewell address to the medical profession of the united states delivered before the medical and chirurgical faculty of the state of maryland on this occasion i have had no difficulty in selecting a subject on which to address you surely the hour is not for the head but for the heart out of the abundance of which i may be able to express however feebly, my gratitude for the many kindnesses I have received from the profession of this country during the past twenty-one years, and from you, my dear colleagues of this state and city, during the sixteen years I have dwelt among you. Truly I can say that I have lived my life in our beloved profession, perhaps too much, but whatever success I have had, has come directly through it, and my devotion is only natural. Few men have had more from their colleagues than has fallen to my lot. As an untried young man, my appointment at McGill College came directly through friends in the faculty, who had confidence in me as a student. In the ten happy years I lived in Montreal, I saw little of any save physicians and students among whom I was satisfied to work and to play. In Philadelphia the hospitals and the societies absorbed the greater part of my time, and I lived the peaceful life of a student with students. An ever-widening circle of friends in the profession brought me into closer contact with the public, but I have never departed from my ambition to be first of all a servant of my brethren willing and anxious to do anything in my power to help them. Of my life here, you all know. I have studied to be quiet and to do my own business and to walk honestly toward them that are without. And one of my chief pleasures has been to work among you as a friend, sharing actively in your manifold labors. But when to the sessions of sweet, silent thought I summon up the past, not what I have done, but the many things I have left undone, the opportunities I have neglected, the battles I have shirked, the precious hours I have wasted. These rise up in judgment. A notable period it has been in our history, through which we have lived, a period of reconstruction and renovation, a true renaissance not only an extraordinary revival of learning, 
but a complete transformation in our educational methods. And I take pride in the thought that, in Philadelphia and in Baltimore, I have had the good fortune to be closely associated with men who have been zealous in the promotion of great reforms, the full value of which we are too close to the events to appreciate. On the far-reaching influence of these changes, time will not permit us to dwell. I propose to consider another aspect of our work of equal importance, neither scientific nor educational, but what may be called humanistic, as it deals with our mutual relations and with the public. Nothing in life is more glaring than the contrast between possibilities and actualities, between the ideal and the real. By the ordinary mortal, idealists are regarded as vague dreamers, striving after the impossible. But in the history of the world, how often have they gradually moulded to their will conditions the most adverse and hopeless? They alone furnish the ghost that finally animates the entire body and makes possible reforms and even resolutions. Imponderable, impalpable, more often part of the moral than of the intellectual equipment, are the subtle qualities so hard to define yet so potent in everyday life, by which these fervent souls keep alive in us the reality of the ideal. Even in a lost cause, with aspirations utterly futile, they refuse to acknowledge defeat, and, still nursing an unconquerable hope, send up the prayer of faith in face of a scoffing world. Most characteristic of aspirations of this class is the petition of the litany in which we pray that to the nations may be given unity, peace, and concord. Century after century, from the altars of Christendom, this most beautiful of all prayers has risen from lips of men and women, from the loyal souls who have refused to recognize its hopelessness, with the war drums ever sounding in their ears. The desire for unity, the wish for peace, the longing for concord, deeply implanted in the human heart, have stirred the most powerful emotions of the race, and have been responsible for some of its noblest actions. It is but a sentiment, you may say, but is not the world ruled by feeling and by passion? What but a strong sentiment baptized this nation in blood? And what but sentiment, the deep-rooted affection for country, which is so firmly implanted in the hearts of all Americans, gives to these states today unity, peace, and concord. As with the nations at large, so with the nation in particular. As with people, so with individuals. As with our profession, so with its members. This fine old prayer for unity, peace, and concord, if in our hearts as well as on our lips, may help us to realize its aspirations. What some of its lessons may be to us will be the subject of my address. Unity 
Medicine is the only worldwide profession, following everywhere the same methods, actuated by the same ambitions, and pursuing the same ends. This homogeneity, its most characteristic feature, is not shared by the law, and not by the church, certainly not in the same degree. While in antiquity the law rivals medicine, there is not in it that extraordinary solidarity which makes the physician at home in any country, in any place where two or three sons of men are gathered together. Similar in its high aims and in the devotion of its offices, the Christian Church, widespread as it is, and saturated with the humanitarian instincts of its founder, yet lacks that Catholicity, urbi et orbi, which enables the physician to practice the same art amid the same surroundings in every country of the earth. There is a unity, too, in its aims, the prevention of diseases by discovering their causes, and the cure and relief of sickness and suffering. In a little more than a century, a united profession, working in many lands, has done more for the race than has ever before been accomplished by any other body of men. So great have been these gifts that we have almost lost our appreciation of them. Vaccination, sanitation, anesthesia, antiseptic surgery, the new science of bacteriology, and the new art in therapeutics have effected a revolution in our civilization to which can be compared only the extraordinary progress in the mechanical arts. Over the latter there is this supreme advantage. It is domestic, a bedroom revolution which sooner or later touches each one of us, if not in person, in those near and dear a revolution which for the first time in the history of poor suffering humanity brings us appreciably closer to that promised day when the former things should pass away when there should be no more unnecessary death when sorrow and crying should be no more and there should not be any more pain one often hears as a reproach that more has been done in the prevention than in the cure of disease. It is true, but this second part of our labours has also made enormous progress. We recognise today the limitations of the art. We know better the diseases curable by medicine, and those which yield to exercise and fresh air. We have learned to realise the intricacy of the processes of disease, and have refused to deceive ourselves with half-knowledge preferring to wait for the day instead of groping blindly in the dark or losing our way in the twilight. The list of diseases which we can positively cure is an ever-increasing one. The number of diseases, the course of which we can modify favourably, is a growing one. The number of incurable diseases, which is large and which will probably always be large, is diminishing so that in this second point we may feel that not only is the work already done of the greatest importance, but that we are on the right path, and year by year, as we know disease better, we shall be able to treat it more successfully. 
the united efforts of countless workers in many lands have won these greatest victories of science only by ceaseless cooperation and the intelligent appreciation by all of the results obtained in each department has the present remarkable position been reached within a week or ten days a great discovery in any part of the world is known everywhere and while in a certain sense we speak of german french english and american medicine the differences are trifling in comparison with the general similarity the special workers know each other and are familiar with each other's studies in a way that is truly remarkable and the knowledge gained by the one or the special technique he may devise or the instrument he may invent is at the immediate disposal of all a new life-saving operation of the first class devised by a surgeon in breslau would be performed here the following week a discovery in practical medicine is common property with the next issue of the weekly journals a powerful stimulus in promoting this wide organic unity is our great international gatherings not so much the international congress of the profession which has proved rather an unwieldy body but of the special societies which are rapidly denationalizing science in nearly every civilized country medical men have united in great associations which look after their interests and promote scientific work it should be a source of special pride to american physicians to feel that the national association of this country the american medical association has become one of the largest and most influential bodies of the kind in the world we cannot be too grateful to men who have controlled its course during the past ten years the reorganization so efficiently carried out has necessitated a readjustment of the machinery of the state societies and it is satisfactory to know that this meeting of our state society the first held under the new conditions has proved so satisfactory but in the whole scheme of readjustment nothing commands our sympathy and cooperation more than the making of the county societies the materials out of which the state and national associations are built it is not easy at first to work out such a scheme in full detail and i would ask of the members of this body not only their cooperation but an expectant consideration if the plan at first does not work as smoothly as could be desired on the county members i would urge the support of a plan conceived on broad national lines on you its success depends and to you its benefits will chiefly come linked together by the strong bonds of community of interests the profession of medicine forms a remarkable world unit in the progressive evolution of which there is a fuller hope for humanity than in any other direction concentration fusion and consolidation are welding together various subunits in each nation much has been done much remains to do and to three desiderata i may refer briefly in this country 
reciprocity between the state licensing boards remains one of the most urgent local needs given similar requirements and examinations practically of the same character with evidence of good character the state board should be given power to register a man on payment of the usual fee it is preposterous to restrict in his own country as is now done a physician's liberty take a case in point a few months ago a man who is registered in three states an able capable practitioner of twenty years standing a hard student in his profession a physician who has had charge of some of the most important lives of this country had to undergo another examination for license what an anomaly what a reflection on a united profession i would urge you all most strongly to support the movement now in progress to place reciprocity on a proper basis international reciprocity is another question of equal importance but surrounded with greater difficulties and though a long way off it will come within this century the second urgent need is a consolidation of many of our medical schools within the past twenty-five years conditions have so changed that the tax on the men in charge of the unendowed schools has become ever more burdensome in the old days of a faculty with seven professors a school with three hundred students was a good property paying large salaries but the introduction of laboratory and practical teaching has so increased the expenses that very little is now left for distribution at the end of the year the students fees have not increased proportionately and only the self-sacrifice and devotion of men who ungrudgingly give their time and often their means save a hopeless situation a fusion of the schools is the natural solution of the problem take a concrete example a union of three of the medical schools of this city would enable the scientific departments to be consolidated at an enormous saving of expense and with a corresponding increase in efficiency anatomy physiology pathology physiological chemistry bacteriology and pharmacology could be taught in separately organized departments which the funds of the united school could support liberally such a school could appeal to the public for aid to build and endow suitable laboratories the clinical work could be carried on at the separate hospitals which would afford unequalled facilities for the scientific study of disease not only in this city but in richmond in nashville in columbus in indianapolis and in many cities a merger is needed even the larger schools of the larger cities could pool their scientific interests to the great advantage of the profession and the third desideratum is the recognition by our homeopathic brethren that the door is open it is too late in this day of scientific medicine to prattle of such antique nonsense as is indicated in the pathies we have long got past the stage when any system can satisfy a rational practitioner long past the time when a difference of belief in the action of drugs 
the most uncertain element in our art, should be allowed to separate men with the same noble traditions, the same hopes, the same aims and ambitions. It is not as if our homeopathic brothers are asleep. Far from it, they are awake, many of them at any rate, to the importance of the scientific study of disease, and all of them must realize the anomaly of their position. It is distressing to think that so many good men live isolated, in a measure, from the great body of the profession. The original grievous mistake was ours. To quarrel with our brothers over infinitesimals was a most unwise and stupid thing to do. That we quarrel with them now is solely on account of the old shibboleth under which they practice. Homeopathy is as inconsistent with the new medicine as is the old-fashioned polypharmacy to destruction of which it contributed so much the rent in the robe of esculapius wider in this country than elsewhere could be repaired by mutual concessions on the one hand by the abandonment of special designations and on the other by an intelligent toleration of the therapeutic vagaries which in all ages have beset the profession, but which have been mere flies on the wheels of progress. End of Part 1 of Chapter 21 Unity, Peace and Concord Recording by Luke Sartor Griffith, New South Wales, 2012